So what about this book? Here, let me give you quickly, because i got a lot to cover today, um, some thoughts about the Bible. Some people believe that the Bible is not relevant for today. You may be here today, and you might believe that the Bible, although it you know, has a bunch of good principles, it's not really relevant today. It's more of an ancient book for a different time and a different culture. And, and to apply those to our culture today is just like, uh, just like it's not relevant for today. Or maybe you're here today, and maybe you think the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, maybe that's what you've told, or maybe you, that's, what you, that's what you think when, in fact, that the Bible is the most cohesive book. It is, is the story of God's redemption from beginning to end. There is not a problem with contradiction. There's a problem with interpretation with the Bible. The third truth, or third um, maybe thought that you might have, not truth, but thought you might have, is that the Bible is man-made. Some of you may be here today thinking that, yeah, this is the books written by man, therefore full, filled with a lot of areas, uh, and some of you may have these thoughts, but my whole goal today is to let you know and to help kind of fan some of those flames or to influence this, this thought that this, your Bible, the whole Bible can be trusted. It, it can be, like it is an essential element of your faith. Um, let me start with this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. So everything, let me say it this way. Everything on earth is going to change a lot. Like it's constantly changing. Everything on earth will change. Nothing stays the way it is. But my words, Jesus says, will never pass away. What I want to study with you today is something called apologetics. Have you ever? It's the it's the study of our faith or the defense of our faith. And 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 so I'm gonna I want to teach you the defense of the Bible or the study of why you can trust the Bible today. If you've never studied apologetics. Um, and, and you're interested in it, Josh McDowell is my favorite. One of my favorite apologists, Josh McDowell, he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict about a lot of topics that will help you defend your faith or, or help you put some more trust in your faith. But today, I want to help you give four reasons why you can trust the Bible. Four reasons. It's an element of your faith. Like, you need to trust this thing. Let me give you four reasons why you should. Number one, because it's historically accurate. The Bible is not a history book, but it does have history inside of it. And history, throughout history, has always proven the Bible is accurate. Psalm 33 and 4 says, The word of the Lord is not only right, but it's true. Meaning, it's not only good, filled with good principles, it's actually truthful. It is the truth. Uh, historians today, the Bible's not a history book, but all historians, in order for something to be taken as historical accuracy, it has to pass three tests. So in order for it to be like a history book or to be taught in a class, it has to pass three tests. And these aren't in your notes. Let me give you some extra here. The three, these aren't Christian tests. These are history tests in order for something to be considered historically accurate or part of a historical record. It has to go through three tests. Number one, is whatever we're reading has to be from eyewitness accounts. That's one of the, like, it's got to be written from an eyewitness accounts. In other words, this, the Bible's not filled with hearsay stories where somebody said this, so I wrote it down, and I'm writing it down, the author of it. No, much of your Bible was written by the people who actually witnessed it. Like, the Gospels were written by people who lived and walked with Jesus, which is why you see the cohesiveness there. They didn't all get together and go, hey, John, what are you going to include in chapter 12? Let's all get on this. They just, they were all eyewitnesses to the same thing and wrote it from their eyewitness account, okay? Like even in the Old Testament, Moses didn't hear stories about 
the Red Sea being parted. He actually was there when the Red Sea split from left to right, and they walked through on, on dry ground. There's eyewitness accounts. The second test is that it was recorded, and not just recorded, but more importantly, copied with extreme care. So throughout history, not only was it recorded, but there was a methodology of copying with extreme care, which I believe is one of the reasons why God chose the Jewish nation as people to be entrusted with his word and his truth, because they are a meticulous, like the Jewish scribes had a standard that no one on earth, even to this day, had in recording history. They wouldn't translate the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, when they would write that over and over throughout history um, so that it would be remain for every generation of teaching. When they, would, when they would make copies of it, they wouldn't translate like word for word. They would translate letter for letter. They would go letter by letter. And then after going letter by letter, the way that they would check it is they would give it to another scribe and they knew the exact middle letter in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and how many, it, there would be the equal amount of numbers to the left of it, an equal amount of numbers to the right of it. And if that was off at all, they would throw it out and rewrite, okay? So it was like transcribed with extreme care. So this whole deception thing about, oh, it's been changed over time is not true. In fact, all the stuff, like you go look at the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in like the 1940s, 1950s, you can go look it up. All that stuff that was discovered, the scriptural content, ancient scriptural content, all of it perfectly lines up accurately to the Bible that we have today. Okay, so that's the second, recorded and copied with extreme care. The third test is archeological confirmation. Meaning as we're digging and in in the sites where the Bible is actually like like talked about that there was a it, like we're digging up stuff and look it's there yeah there, there, this stuff's there the battle happened here there's bones dead there's there's a kingdom here which is some historians actually refuted the Bible because the Hittite Empire was never discovered before the 1900s there were historians that were like this is this is mythological it's a fable because these Hittite people. They're not, they're not a people. Who is this people that these guys, the Bible is talking about? There's no, and then in the early 1900s, archaeologists discovered in a dig in the same area where the Bible says the Hittites were documents and civilizations and the Hittite empire. So there is not one historian today that refutes the Hittite empire was an empire. Okay, so history catches up with and always proves that the Bible is accurate. Let me give you number two. Your Bible can be trusted, not only because it's historically accurate, but number two, this is pretty cool. Your Bible is scientifically accurate, which is amazing because it's not a science book, and science changes over time. You guys understand that, right? So if you go back to your second grade science book, it's probably all garbage <laughs> because like it's all, if you go back, like if you went, if you're in like any medical field or, or psychological field, Within four years, it's all, they're all reprint, all over, man. So, so it's, it's like science is this like continuously evolving thing. And, but this is so cool because our God who created the science, created the laws of the universe, the, the, our bodies, everything, even as science evolves, somehow God was able to inspire the writing of the Bible that it, it does not include not one scientifically inaccuracy inside of it. Even though in the times it was written, there were scientific inaccuracies that were believed, it just never found its way inside of the Bible. Psalm 148 says this, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever 
and ever. Well, how does it happen? That when science changes, you don't have to go and get the latest update of the Bible. Oh, well, science changed. Let's update, let's delete that part of the Bible now because it's not, we found out it's not real. No, his decree will never be revoked. So even though it's not a science book, like it doesn't have any science language in, in it, what's interesting is it's still scientifically accurate. So people came up with things like in 1861, the French Academy of Science, they publicized something and the title of it was 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts to Prove the Bible is Wrong. So this was like an article they publicized, 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts that the Bible is wrong. And since 1861, when this was written, all 51 of these have been controverted. So this, is, this, this thing is scientifically unacceptable now. Oh, I was wrong. I guess the Bible was right. Isn't that interesting? And not only what the Bible does say, but what's even more interesting is what the Bible does not say. Because uh, there's a science of the day that was widely accepted. It just doesn't show up in the Bible. Like, for instance, it was believed for many, many, many generations that the earth was flat. That's what it, it was believed. Um, until, you know, Copernicus, Galileo, Columbus, 1492, that's, that was the, the thought. And, um, of course, we know that that is wrong. That's That's false. And, but for thousands of years, if they would have just went to the Bible 2,600 years ago, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 says this, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The word there is literally sphere. In Hebrew, it's where we get the word globe. That sound familiar, right? So, so like this was like before it was ever like a common thought. It was in, how did that happen? Maybe this thing's breathed by God. And another common belief during the writing of the Bible was that the earth was, was held up. Like it had to be, something is holding up this, this earth. The Greeks believed it was Atlas. You remember, you've seen Atlas where he's holding the globe, right? The Greeks believed that there was this God named Atlas that was holding this thing up. The Hindus, during the writing of the Bible, believed that the earth sat on the back of an elephant, which stood on the back of a sea turtle, which sat on the back of a, a sea serpent that swam throughout the sea. Come on, get some of that, somebody. Come on. I, want, I can say a lot. Never mind. How about this? The brilliant Egyptians, they, they believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. That's what they believed. And which Moses, who authored the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, he would have been educated in the philosophy of Egyptians. He was schooled in the Egyptians. So he would have been taught this philosophy that the earth was held up by these five pillars but it never, that, that philosophy never enters these first five books at all. In fact, the oldest book of the Bible is Job, the book of Job. In Job 26, verse 7, he says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. That's not even what was believed then. How in the world did that, how did Job know? Maybe Job didn't write it. Maybe it was God breathed. Maybe, maybe God used Job like you and I would use a pen. And if I can use a pen and write whatever my creative mind wills it to write, maybe the God of the universe can use a flawed man to write his perfect will. Here's another one. How about this one? It was believed during the writing of the Bible. The number of stars could be counted. During the writing of the Bible, they believed that the number of stars, so Hipparchus in 150 BC, so 150 years before Jesus, he counted the stars. He did it. He said there's 1,022 stars 
In the galaxy, public, like he published it like he's, like he's a famous dude for that. Then 320 years later, a guy named Ptolemy, um, who's still considered a genius in astrology, like, like, uh, came along and said, well, that's so silly. That's dumb. There ain't 1,022 stars. Get out of here with that. There's 1,026 stars. You missed four stars. So he published his thing. And... But again, man, they just, if they would have just read Jeremiah 2,600 years earlier, Jeremiah 33 says the stars of the sky cannot be counted. In fact, they're still like discovering universes as this thing expands further and further. So you move to medical science. Let's move over there. The prevalent um, thought of medicine in those days. Crazy things, man. They had some crazy thoughts about medical stuff, dude. Like Hippocrates came up what's called um, humoralism. He's like the father of medicine in a lot of ways, but you know, he, he, he came up with this idea that, that there's four things that had input to your temperament, but also created disease. It was yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood, one of these four areas. So he said, like, when you're sick, one of these four areas are the problem. So here was the modern medical philosophy of the day. They believe that too much blood actually made you sick. So, so too much blood made you sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, um, so when someone would be sick, this is crazy. So they had things called bloodletting, Bloodletting. So when you get sick and you go to the doctor, they'd be like, oh, man, you, you don't look too good. You, you got too much of that sick blood in you. We didn't get that sick blood out, so they cut you and they bleed you out to get the sick. This is what they did. You guys, our first, the first president of the United States, George Washington, died of bloodletting. He had a heart disease. And the third time he went to the doctor, and the third time they bled him out, he died. So this was the, mod- this was the thought of, of, the, of, of regenerations. It's like, like this is, there's bad blood in you or something like that. And we know today, obviously, that's wrong. Today, we don't let blood out. We, we put blood back in. They're called transfusions. You need some blood in you, bro. But if they would have just read the Bible in Leviticus chapter 17, they would have found out that there's not disease in the Like, no, life is in the bo- life of the body is in the blood, you don't let that thing out. That's where your life comes from. And even in the Middle Ages during the Black Plague, the Black Plague killed one out of every four people in Europe. 25% of the people in Europe, it wiped out. You know why? Because we had no idea of contagion, of germs, of how they spread. We had no idea that it could be airborne illnesses and that, or even uh, physical born. They thought they just, there was just no idea of all this, of, of this in that time. But if they would have read Leviticus 13 and 4 where it says the priest will quarantine the sick person for seven days. Like, you better get that dude away from you. Get away from me. You're going to be all right. It's all in the Bible the whole time. Why? Because man didn't write it. God did. Okay? So, so it is God breathed. Men were, the, were holding the pen, but it was God was breathing his word and protecting his word for all generations. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. I'm just trying to help you out today. This is an element of your faith, man, that you can trust the word of God. And if you can't trust it, then you're going to be on a shaky foundation. It's going to set you up for doubt, for lacking confidence, or for false doctrine where you choose certain parts to believe and certain parts not. Your whole Bible is God-breathed, and you can trust in it. Okay, here's the third, third thing, third thing. I told you I was going to give you four, three. Number three, you can trust the Bible because it's prophetically accurate. Prophetically 
accurate. So this was a great risk for God to like allow prophets to speak on his behalf because I mean, if one of those prophecies don't come to pass, one of the over thousand prophecies, you know, then man, he's, he's going to be a black eye on him, right? It's not a black eye on the prophets, a black eye on him. There is 300 prophecies about Jesus alone. 300 prophecies. So the, all the prophecies, they span these 300 prophecies of Jesus, they span about an 1,100-year period of time. Before, so before Jesus was ever born, before the, like, and not one of them are like silly or simple stuff, like, and he's going to be awesome. That's not the prophecy. They're like where he was born, that he would go flee to Egypt, that, that he would ride in on a, on a donkey, that, are you ready for this? King David prophesied that the Messiah would be crucified before crucifixion was ever a thing. How in the world? Like, that's God, you guys. This is God breathed. In fact, there's a guy named Dr. Peter Stoner who did an entire study called Science Speaks. He got 600 researchers together, probability experts, to figure out what would be the probability for any of these prophecies coming true. Like, what is this? There are 300 prophecies. Every single one of them became true of Jesus. So he wanted to understand the probability of it. Probability experts, they use math to figure out reasoning. And so probability is like if I had 10 golf balls, put them in a little you know, basket, and one of them was red, if I stick my hand in there to pull out the red, it's one in 10. That's what probability is. So they wanted to know what's the probability of these prophecies being fulfilled in one person. So they, they figured out that one person just fulfilling eight of these prophecies is actually one in 10 to the 17th power, which is a one with 17 zeros after it, which may not look like a big, like, like oh, I wonder what, so let me give you some context here. The silver dollar coins, if you were to have that many silver dollar coins and you want to store them somewhere, you would need to put them in the state of Texas and it would cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep. Okay, and so now let me let me let's put probability into it. You paint one of those coins red, and then I blindfold you, put you in a helicopter, and go. We're over Texas. Tell me when, when, and then I lower you, and you just get in there and you pull out the red coin. Okay, that's that's for eight eight of for the prophecies being fulfilled. Eight of the three hundred. For sixteen of the prophecies to be fulfilled, it's one in the ten to the forty fifth power. For 48 of the prophecies to be fulfilled, it's 1 in 10 to the 157th power, which you can't even comprehend that number, man. Now at that big of a number, now we're measuring in electrons. There is not like, there is not an amount of space in the universe to fill that number. It would have to be electrons that you're counting. This is, guys, there is no way possible humanly that one person could fulfill this. Well, perhaps 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22 is right when he said, For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, yeah, they're flawed human, they spoke, though, from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, just like you would carry a pen. God carried the prophets and spoke his will and spoke his word. That's how they got it right. And that's why Jesus said you can trust these prophecies in Matthew 26. But this it's all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And the scriptures he was talking about was the Old Testament scriptures. That's all they had at that time. They're true. And by the way, there are a few of these prophecies yet to be fulfilled, just very few. You go read the book of Revelation. You don't want to be on the wrong side of those prophecies, okay? There's only a few to be fulfilled yet, and they will be fulfilled, right? In Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, says this, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy 
and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Like, these are going to happen. And so some people go, well, it's just happenstance. It's just a coincidence that these things are lining up. Are you kidding me? It's a coincidence that, that not only creation, but the prophetic account, like it takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are a coincidence than it does to believe that God planned them. Like, if, that's, if you're here today and you believe it's coincidence, you have more faith than me. You do. You, it takes more faith to believe it. So, so here's number four. Number four, why you can trust the Bible. Number four, the Bible has transforming power. It has transforming power. It'll change your life. I'm telling you, this word is God-breathed. And if you let it, it'll breathe inside of you, and it will change your life. John 8 says this. Jesus said, if you hold, and I love that word, hold, to my teaching." Like, I'm going to take you on a journey, church, to grab hold of the word of God. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. See, disciples aren't those who just go, well, I think I'll go to church today. That's not what it means to be a disciple. You're not called to be a churchgoer. You're called to be a disciple. A disciple holds to his teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Come on, church, it's time to take hold of God's truth, to know it. It'll heal your marriage. It'll change your mind. It'll transform your money. It'll change your kids. Man, if you hold on to it, it'll change your life. It'll set you free. God's word will set you free. People think they can outsmart God. They can outsmart the Bible. They've thought it there for, for all of history. They've thought they can do it. It's never been done. Not, not like one of the smartest people that ever lived, honestly, still to this day, is considered a genius. It's a French philosopher by the name of Voltaire. Voltaire is so cool, he only has one name, Voltaire. Man, that's cool. He actually had, a, he had like eight names, but they know him as Voltaire. He was like Jean-Claude Badou, 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 Voltaire, or something like that. But he's, but he's known as just like Voltaire. He's still considered one of the greatest geniuses of our time. During the 1700s, the age of enlightenment, European enlightenment, it was like, you know, intellectual, philosophical movement that dominated the world and ideas of Europe during that time. He uh, was quoted with saying this, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. Now, the only thing that's been forgotten since that time is this quote. <laughs> I love how God works, because when he, check this out, when he died, his, his home became the place for the French Bible Society. So they actually print Bibles from his home now. <laughs> Isn't, that awesome? Isn't God funny, man? God has a sense of humor, man. See, what you need to know about this, this, this Bible that we study, that we teach, that we encourage you to read and to equip yourself with this Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. Why? Why is that? That there's so much attention and desecration put towards this one book throughout all of history. You know why? Because the enemy is trying to disarm you. There, there is no power in your words. There is power in his word. There is no power in your thoughts and opinions. There's power in God's thoughts and God's opinions. Your enemy is trying to disarm you from the, most, uh, the, the only offensive weapon in the arsenal of God. You remember Ephesians chapter 6, the, the, the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of of God, the only offensive weaponry in Ephesians 6. The breastplate and the helmet are for protection. The shoes help a soldier gain ground. The shield is something for you to stand behind, but the sword is for attacking and inflicting damage. 
You think about it when, when in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was being like tempted of Satan, there was, he was quickened by the rhema word of God every time he was tempted or in a battle and the enemy was coming to tempt him. Quickened by the word of God, it became like a sword in his hand that dealt a blow to the enemy. Okay, this, this word is, is, is a weapon for you. It'll look like this. So say like you're like, you could be in prayer or maybe not in prayer. You could just be at work in a challenging situation and it'll look like this. In that moment, God will just remind you of a word. And that word will be like, like a sword in your hand, man, that can deal a fatal blow to the enemy, to your doubt, to your fear, to some discouragement. That's what the sword of the spirit is. It'll equip you to do battle. See, people want to get a word from God, but they don't know the word of God. And they're not, you got to know the word for God to give you a word. And he wants to, he wants to deposit it in you, but you got to, you got to wield it. And I just, I, and I hope today that you are inspired to grab your Bible more, to, like, to, to dig into that word more. Let me give you three steps to wield the sword of the spirit, that you're offensive weapon every day. Three steps, okay, with this, with this Bible. Number one, you got to process the Bible. I want you to process it, meaning to digest it, to consume it, to study it. Let me ask you a question. What shape is your sword in? Is it polished from daily use? Is it ready? Has it been sharpened? On, on that anvil of experience and service and sacrifice? Or is it dulled by our disobedience? Is it rusty from a lack of preparation? From sitting in our car under our seat? See, before you can wield it, you gotta familiar, familiarize yourself with the weapon. Process it. Don't just, don't just once a week get it. Man, you got to digest this thing. Get, your, get yourself a Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you call yourself a Christian, please get yourself a Bible. Get a Bible and get one you can actually understand, bro. Don't, don't do that to yourself with King James, man. You're like, I just don't get it. Well, you're reading 1700 English, bro. Come on. Get yourself a Bible you can understand. I encourage people to get the New International Version or the New Living Translation. There's all kinds of translations, though. Get one you can, you can read and understand. Get into your word daily. Grab your sword daily. Familiarize yourself with the weapon of God. See, the weapon is not in your intellect. It's not out there. The only weapon to fight your enemy, to fight your doubts, to fight the discouragement, to be, bring success to your marriage, bring success to your life. The only weapon you have is the word of God. And you're using other things, I promise you. You're using manipulation. You're using control. You're using, you're using I don't know, drivenness and ambition. And what you need to use is the word of God. So, so get a Bible, read it daily, get into that thing and get yourself a plan. Get a plan to read the Bible. Fine. Come on, you have a plan for it. You got a plan for your money. You got a budget. You better, man, never mind. You probably don't, but you should. You should have a plan for your budget. You should have a plan for your health, right? You should, okay, let me, you got a plan of, of, of like going to work. You got to be at work at this time and then you leave at this time. So you got a plan. You got Get yourself a plan. You plan for whatever matters most, whatever matters in your life, you plan for it. Plan to read your Bible. What plan are you going to use? 
I use the one-year one year Bible reading plan. That's what I use. I've read the Bible every year for, I don't know, about 15 years. Read through, read through the Bible every year, every year. I study it, but I just, that's just my daily reading. I read through it. I read through it. And, and I'm telling you, like, I don't know how many times I'm in a situation. God just reminds me of a word. I didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't prepare for that word. It's just there. It's just, it's just there. It's just, it's just there. Why? Because I, I studied. Because I put it there. You got, you got to process this word, and I'm telling you, God will put the sword in your hand the moment you need it. It'll, it'll be like a supernatural weapon in that situation. That word, super, like, like a, you'll be equipped with it if you, pro, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved. A workman, look what it says, tested by trial. I know you don't like the trial, but those are opportunities for you to become a good swordsman. Are you hearing me? You're not going to get good at the sword if you never have any trials. You're never going to get good at it. You got, you got to be able to use the weapon. So he's like, you're tested by that trial. That's when I'm going to give you the word. That's when I'm going to give you the rhema. It's in that trial. Who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Come on, you can trust this thing. It's useful. It's useful, you guys. You got to process it. Number two, you got to confess it. To confess, to, to reveal, to confess it over your life, to meditate on it, right? To make it part of your arsenal. In Luke chapter 24, it says, Our hearts were burning within as he explained the scripture. It's not in, I don't think it's on your outline. But they were. As Jesus would speak the word and he would declare, like their hearts would like burn within them. That's, that's like the art of biblical meditation when you experience your heart burning with revelation just as the disciples did. You gotta wear it to use it. You gotta have this sword. You gotta wear it. And I'm telling you to begin to shape who you are. And when you're wearing that sword, <laughs> when you're wearing that sword and you're equipped with it, you carry yourself differently when you have the weapon. You do. You walk differently. You carry yourself differently when you have a weapon. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. This, this word, it's like a defense mechanism for me when the lies and the temptation and the, it, it just, it just, it, it's a, it comes up. I've hidden it right there. Oh, that's where it's coming up. It's a defense mechanism. Number three, now, you got to process, confess, and profess. See, it's not enough to believe it like it's written. you got to proclaim it like it's finished. you got to profess the word of God to admit it, to declare it, to wield it, to speak it, to use it. It's no good on the self. you got to quote the word. you got to declare the word of God. This is what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 4, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread Alone. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is what? It's alive. The Bible's not a, just a historical book, historically accurate, but it's not a historical book. It's not just a collection of writings. This is the word of God, and it is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It has power inside of it to penetrate the deepest part of our lives joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Oh, I hope, to, I hope that I stirred you a little bit today to, to trust your word, to like know your word, to study your word, 
to not just select parts of God's principles and God's teaching, but to like all of the counsel of God's word, to let it guide your life and your decisions. Because I would venture to say there might be some of you in here today that love God and, and you even like love the word, but you're just not letting the entire breathed word of God be your guide for life. You've chosen to accept parts of it and some parts not. Ignore, maybe. And I'd, I'd encourage you, look, God's word is good for you. He didn't write his word for him. He wrote it for you to bless you, to be a blessing for your life. Can I pray God's word over you? Every head bowed and every eye closed over in this place. Oh God, I thank you for your word. Your word never fails. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. Thank you, God, that you didn't just leave us to just wander, but you've given us a light. You've given us your word to lead, to convict, to correct, to encourage. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to process, confess, profess your word. That the answer that we're looking for, for many of us, it's right here. It's in your word. It's already spoken. And we're trying so many other things, but your word is here and it's under our nose and we're not using it. It's not useful for us because we're not using it. So God, help us to use your word, to let it guide our life. 